This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 30th of May to the 5th of June. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's news editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor Paul Money. Hello, Paul. Hiya, Ezzy. How we going? I'm going well. So let me know, what are your recommendations for this coming's week? Well, we've got plenty going on in the morning sky, so if you're an insomniac, <laughs> it's ideal for you. Uh, I always think, though, it is nice if you're going to walk the dog in the early morning sort of thing, in the morning twilight, then uh, it's always a nice serene time, isn't it? Or should be, if you can mm. get to somewhere like a beach or a nice country park or something. But uh, we've got the major planets still clustered in the morning sky. But over the coming months, we will start to see a change and it will get easier. So the evening sky will get the planets eventually. But for now, they're in the morning sky. Now, although Mars and Jupiter are actually in conjunction yesterday on the 29th, they're still really close together on the 30th. So this is the morning of the 30th. You're looking around about 3.30-ish, thereabouts sort of thing for them, Um the major planets are, at the moment, Venus, Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn. Fainter planets are Neptune, and we've actually got the minor planet Vesta as well. So 
for Neptune and Vesta, you really need to be looking a little bit earlier whilst the sky is a bit darker. We leave it till about 3.30, in the morning so you can catch a Venus. Venus is creeping up over the horizon then, but unfortunately you will need a nice flat, uncluttered horizon for that. But uh, higher up, we've got Mars and Jupiter quite close together. And I say we've got Saturn well up, in actual fact, in Capricornus. So that's uh, well placed for viewing. And that's the one over in the southeast. So we've actually got quite a string of planetary bodies crossed, you know, stretched out across the sky at the moment in the morning. So uh, it is, though, light skies. This, we get into that point, aren't we, where a lot of astronomers, to be fair, pack up the bags, basically, and say, right, that's it, sort of thing. Sky's too light. But yet there's loads of things you can look at. Planets are bright. You've got the moon later on as well. So there's lots to do. And I say, if you're a bit patient, then if you start observing a little bit earlier, then with binoculars, you'll pick out Neptune. And I say, you'll also get Vesta. Now, Vesta is nearly a magnitude brighter than Neptune. So uh, both are visible in binoculars. So well worth having a go at. And really, you want to be looking round about the east-northeast for Venus, uh, towards sort of like the eastern horizon for Jupiter and Mars, a little bit further over to the sort of like south-southeast for Neptune, and then over in the southeast for Saturn. And this is, as I say, around about 3.30 to 3.40 a.m., it does depend on where you are in the country, because the further north you are, it will be lighter. That's one of the uh, shames about it. I always found when I used to have holidays in Scotland, I was all excited. July, yes, we'll be sort of thing, you know, and the skies were so light, you could barely see anything. I really <laughs> feel for our Scottish cousins up there uh, when it comes to the night sky sort of thing. It really does get quite light, but uh, there we are. So we've got a host of planets in the morning sky but we don't have to leave the evening sky out completely because at the moment, uh, if we look around about the 2nd of June, now I always find this fascinating because I was puzzled for many years when I first started in astronomy because we talk about Gemini, the twins, and we've got the mm. stars Castor and Pollux. And the thing about those is that they're relatively close together. They're easy to spot. But I always think there's a second twin up there and you only really notice it when you get to this time of year, around about 11 o'clock at night, on either side of the northwest uh, sort of compass mark, you find Gemini to one side, but you've also got two bright stars, Capella, and I've got to pronounce this right, Menkalinen. I think I've got that. It might be Menkalinen, but <laughs> yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Something along those lines. But the thing is, they're wider apart, but the angle they make on the horizon, you've got Castor and Pollock slightly slanting, to weigh one side of the northwest horizon. And then on the other side, you've got these two other stars, Capella and Menkalinen, <laughs> on the other. So I was thinking there's like two pairs of twins at point standing above the horizon. So that's well worth having a look at. But they're joined on the 2nd of June, especially uh, Castor and Pollux, because forming a triangle with Castor and Pollux is the slim crescent moon. And it's like everything else sort of thing, you know. I always love the slim crescent moon. Once you start seeing it creep back into the early evening sky, it's the fact that you've got Earth shine. You can see the night side glowing. And it, it looks really odd at first. You think, how on earth is that happening? Of course, we've got the bright crescent, which is the sunlight, the daytime side of the moon. But it's the light bounced off the Earth's very reflective atmosphere, like a fill-in photographer's light, filling in the night side of the moon. So if you look carefully, this is why people say, oh, I can see the rest of the moon as well. And you can see, if you're careful, you can see some of the subtle features, like some of the main dark seas 
on the night side part as well. So this is a good time to look for that. So June the 2nd, around about 11 o'clock, you will get the moon and um, Castor and Pollock sort of thing around about 10 o'clock, but the skies will be very light. The sun will only just set. So give it an hour uh, towards the northwest and you'll catch these as well. Because it's worth bearing in mind that uh, Castor is a nice double star. So, you know, well worth having a look at that. Very tight, two white headlights, I always think, in the actual sky. One slightly mm. fainter than the other. So there's not just the naked eye view here. You've got the naked eye view of the constellations and the, the grouping of those stars, the two twins, as I think of them. You've then got the naked eye view of the crescent moon and the Earth sign. Put a binocular or telescope, that enhances the view. And, of course, a telescope is needed for Castor as well. So you've got a lot going on in just that short patch of sky. So I think mm. that's quite amazing how much you can actually do. So, yes, don't despair on the light nights keep observing because there's a lot to see. Absolutely. I mean, next evening, I mean, the moon will have moved on. And of course, it roughly moves, and this is only a rough guide, it's about 15 degrees each evening. But that means the next evening, again, about 11 o'clock sort of thing, the actual moon will be, the crescent moon will be to the left of Pollux. Now, the thing about this is that it's almost exactly between Pollux and the wonderful star cluster, Messier 44, the beehive cluster, that swarm of bees as well. So, you know, this is it's just almost exactly halfway. So if you use that as a line, if you draw a line from Pollux to the moon and use binoculars and then drift over further, you'll come across this swarm of stars, which I think... And I think if you do it like that, rather than deliberately looking at the moon and then looking at the actual cluster, if you do it drift across, it's this nice revelation when you suddenly come across the cluster. It's almost like one of those little uh, fantastic little moments that you cherish when you drift across and find this cluster drifting to your field of view. But we'll stick to the moon as well because the crescent is getting thicker and we've got Mare Crisium is well displayed by the time we get to the third. But there's another darker patch below it. This is Mare Fecunditatis. It's the Sea of Fecundity, or according to virtual uh, lunar atlas, it's uh, the Sea of Fruitfulness. I've, <laughs> I've always called it the Sea of Fecundity, but when I came across that, I thought, oh, fancy that. I never, I never knew that. So they kind uh, of mean the same thing. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so there we are. And the thing about this is that, you know, note the crater Messier which has a really nice set of rays off to one side. Often you get ray patterns spreading out all around mm -hmm. from, such as Tycho, you know, or Tycho, yeah. as you want to pronounce it, you know. But in this case, they're off to one side sort of thing. So it's almost like it must have been a glancing blow. So if you've got a telescope, have a look at that. Uh, yeah, say I do, I do well, like a, a, a good ray crater on the moon. And the thing is, we, we have this assumption that generally the rays, and they, to be fair, it is true, generally the rays are better seen during full moon. But the reality yeah. is it's down to the angle of the moonlight, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so Messier just happens to be best placed at this time. And I think the angle, it makes the rays stand out better personally. It, it looks just as good at the full moon as it does the rest of the year. So it's it's one of those things that if there's a full moon, I know a lot of astronomers tend to mourn the full moon because it's blacking out all of the, the, the deep sky objects and a lot of moon things, you want to be looking at them when they're right on the Terminator. But the, the rays look, as long as they're up, you can see them and they're pretty good to look at most of the time. Exactly. As long as it's not, you know... <laughs> 
in, in the lunar shadow, then you can't really see it. Well, that's it. Don't, don't try that. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> uh, they have to be, only the really brightest can be seen in the, uh, when it's uh, the, the, the earth shine part. So, uh, you know, but there's, there are lots of rays over the moon. But uh, yeah, we, we're, we're a funny lot of astronomers, really, sort of thing, because we, we have this perception. It, I suppose it depends whether you fall into the deep sky camp or the lunar camp. And if you're mm. in the lunar camp, you can't wait for the moon to get up and get in the way and observe all the features on it. But of course, if you're a deep sky observer sort of thing, full moon is the worst possible time. But we will come to that in a short moment. Interestingly, um, of course, on the Sky at Night magazine's uh, website, we've actually got a very good article. So, you know, there's lots on the website, a huge amount of information, isn't there, Ezzy, on a whole range of topics from our reviews, etc. And there's this particular one that says about the seas of the moon, so you can learn all about. And there's lots of little seas that, I think, really get ignored, you know, sort of yeah. thing, because they're not really well known. So have a look at that article and, uh, in, and make sure you check it out so that you can have a look and hunt out these small seas on the moon that you probably have never really even heard of. Yes, and you can visit our website at www.skyatnightmagazine.com. So well worth a visit, well worth several hours of your time. Now, we finished the week off on June the 5th, um, with the evening crescent moon, but it's getting a lot thicker now. But around about 11 o'clock again at night on the 5th of June, we find it lies to the lower right of Eta Leonis and Regulus is off to their lower left. They, it sort of forms a bit of a triangle, not quite a right angle triangle, but it's close as such. But it's just sort of like, you know, quite a long sort of stem to get down to Regulus itself. And remember, Regulus is a double star. Um, you can see it in binoculars. It's got a fainter companion, but it is visible in binoculars. Um, but also part of this, and it wasn't until I was looking at the actual chart that I've created that I thought the way the moon is, it looks like if you join the moon with Eta, like a stem, you've almost got an antenna because you've got one line going off to Regulus. Then you've got another line going up at a similar angle up to Algeba, Gamma Leonis. So mm-hmm. you haven't just got the crescent moon there with the features we've been mentioning before. You've actually got sort of the two double stars. You've got Regulus with his easy companion with the binoculars, but you've also got Algeba, which does need a telescope. Very similar um, closeness as Castor, except you've got two golden yellow stars, one slightly fainter than the other. So well worth having a look at that just to finish off this week's uh, series of events. So it certainly sounds like there's lots to see in the night sky. So thank you very much for running through that all with us, Paul. It's a pleasure, as always. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.